again, everyone. Welcome to the Red and White Authority. This is episode 195. I'm Art Regner. And as always, the Red and White Authority is presented by Labatt Blue. It is the official Canadian beer of the Detroit Red Wings. Whether it's winter, spring, summer, or fall, what better way to cap off your day than with an ice-cold, frothy Labatt Blue? We do ask that you drink our premium beer responsibly. And it's that time of the year. The uh, draft is a little over a week away, the NHL entry draft. And uh, as usual, it's a yearly occasion. And I think he does hold the record for being a guest on this podcast more than anybody else. But it's TSN's director of scouting, Craig Button, joins us as we look at the draft. Craig, it's always a pleasure. Thank you for taking time out, as you do, as I said, every year to be with us here on the Red and White Authority. I really appreciate it. I know you appreciate it, and it's always my pleasure to join you. You know, we, we kid around with one another, but, you know, usually by the time we get to the podcast, we spend 45 minutes to an hour talking about the Wolverines, talking about the history of Detroit sports, the Red Wings included. So, you know, this just ends up for public consumption. What we got to do is just find a way to put the backstory onto a podcast and let everybody listen to all the fun that we have chatting. Right, we should, you know, open conversation. We didn't know where, when we when we hit record, we weren't sure where we were going, and an hour later we shut it off and this is it. <laughs> so it's always good. I mean, it's all, and you know, and we've said this before, people here in the greater uh, metropolitan area did not realize that you lived in Michigan for 12 years. Ann Arbor. I yes. lived in Ann Arbor. My girls were born in Ann Arbor. And, uh, you know, and, and for me, Art, you know, I consider myself so bloody lucky. You know, you were just, we were just chatting offline about, you know, Detroit sports area legacies, right? And, you know, that includes the, the four professional teams, you know, the Red Wings, the Lions, the Tigers, and the Pistons, but also the, the University of Michigan, which is near and dear to me and to you. Right. Yeah. I came to Ann Arbor in 1990, in, in 1988, 1989. Ramil Robinson and the boys won the national championship with Michigan. Steve Fisher, a Michigan man, will coach Michigan. Both Shane great. Right, players. right. And then you know the Fab Five came in, and hey, let's let's give a great nod to Jimmy King getting his degree from Michigan Definitely. alongside his daughter. Yep. Isn't that wonderful? You know, That's coming a great back story. To, to, to a place. And then you know, as you go through, and I was there for the Red Wings years as they were as they were really progressing and really moving into that contender status. And certainly there was some disappointment there. The, the Tigers were good. You know, the bad boy, hammer time with the Pistons. I mean, it was unbelievable. Michigan winning the National Football Championship in 1997. The Red Wings winning it in 97 and 98. You, you know, just the – like, I, I pinch myself, Art, thinking right. about how lucky I was to be able to be in that area – watching the greatness, not only of the individual players, but the collective teams. It, it was a phenomenal time in my life. And it, I, I don't think it will ever be a time that will be replicated with respect to the joy that all those different, uh, uh, you know, what I would call d different different activities that, that you were watching up closely, some professionally, some as a fan, they were just tremendous. I, I don't think I'll ever replicate that ever again in my life. It was a special, special time and a time that I look on very, very fondly. 
Well, you know, I mean, I, I, I was, you know, I experienced all that too, obviously, as you did. And, you know, let's just throw a, a quick uh, shout out to the Detroit Vipers because I think they won the yeah. IHL championship. Uh, I, I think the same year, ninety, maybe 97, I guess, when the Red Wings won the cup, I think the Vipers actually won their championship. And that was always a pretty good product to go out to the... Uh, uh, the Palace of Auburn Hills and and, and watch the, uh, as I like to call them, the old aqua and eggplant. What a great color combination. And I still like their logo with that, you know, with a viper and the puck and all that kind of stuff. But it, it has been a great time. And, you know, and our area is better because you lived here, Craig. I really mean that. I mean, you you were you you, you were a solid citizen. <laughs> so and, and the, I'm not saying that Detroit isn't full of them now, but, uh, but you were definitely... Uh, uh, added to the area, but let's look, let's look at this upcoming draft. You know, Steve Eiserman always said that, is this a deep draft? I asked him and he said, well, it's always a deep draft when it's top heavy with really elite talent at the top. So everyone says it's a deep draft yet today, Steve addressed the media and we're doing this on uh, June 20th. Uh, uh, earlier this morning, Steve addressed the Detroit media, but he kind of reiterated that he really does look at this draft and think that it's pretty deep and it has a lot of pretty good hockey players. What is your overall assessment as we're a little over a week away from uh, round one beginning? You know, it's always interesting too. So, so Steve, you know, a lot of managers will, 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 can make that comment based on what they hear, but Steve's making that comment based on what he sees. And, right. and you know, he, he is very invested in the scouting process, the player evaluation process. And so, you know, with, with the opportunity to be to, to be watching these players and then understanding, hey, this player offers this, that player offers that. The way I've described this draft art is, is in this way. And and you, a lot of times drafts get defined by what's at the top end of a draft. I think through 20, 25 picks, and I, I go that deep, I think the quality is is demonstrated in what I consider to be top six, top two line forwards and top three defenders. And I may only see four top three uh, defenders in, in, in this draft, but the rest are forwards. And when you get that deep in a draft and you start looking at, well, that player can be on your top two lines, that player can be on your top two lines, that player can be a top three defenseman. I think that that speaks to the quality of a draft. And, you know, I, I, I look at it and I see a player, and it doesn't mean, I mean, lists are never going to be the same. And you, you may look at a player that, that, that may be ranked 16th and another team may have that player rated eighth and, and vice versa. But the quality that you're getting and the projections you make, I think are consistent. I don't think anybody would tell you anything different. The, the 2018 draft, Bob McKenzie and I talked about this at the time we knew who the first 12 picks were going to be we didn't know exactly what order they were going to be but we knew because it, it, it kind of defined itself to that point i think this draft and bob and i were talking about it again is that you're looking at 20 19 20 21 players out of the first 24 25 players we know who's going to be drafted and we know that there's going to be 19 20 21 of the top 25 we know who they are we don't know the order if we right. did, you know, I'd be placing big bets down in Vegas. But we know who the players are. That's how it's. That's how it's. That, that's how it's declared itself for this draft. And I think it just speaks to exactly what Steve was describing. You know, it was because you know what he said at right at the end today after speaking for a little over an hour. 
he said, you know, I wish that sometime what I'd really like to do is after it's all said and done, sit with another group of teams and see what their draft board looked like compared to ours. Because I just want to get a sense, not, not so much, I, I don't think he was insinuating, am I on the right track? But just to get the per, people's perceptions and to see, get more than opinions where people are really coming from. Because he was the first to admit, you know, sometimes you get enamored with a player or you hear about all these negatives and you, you kind of t- almost tune out and you don't really appreciate him for the p- player, not only that he is at this point, but the player that he has the potential to develop into. And I, I thought, wow, you know, that's there's a lot of insight in that little uh, thing that he just said. Yeah, no, there's no question. And, and, and I think it, it speaks to, you know, understanding that w- we go through a process of evaluating players and projecting players, but there's other projections and evaluations out there as well and and trying to understand what goes into into those evaluations through the lens of another person or another organization i I think it recognizes that hey there are different opinions of players one of the things that i've continuously said and and scouting is not a static exercise it's continuous continuous like over time like from the time a player starts to demonstrate maybe nhl potential to being drafted, to realizing that potential. You know, after like after the draft, every team is excited about the players they got. They may be, oh, geez, maybe we should have got that guy. It would have been nice to get that guy. But they're, they're, everybody's happy about their draft, you know, after it's completed. But right. then you start to go through, you know, what I call the next, what, what I call the next six months that I think is really significant scouting. And I think it's really important scouting. So, you, you, you've had your list, you've selected your players. Now you're going to watch those players come to training camp, go to development camps, go to rookie tournaments, play internationally, ultimately probably culminating at the World Junior Tournament, you know, in December, which is six months after the draft. And, you know, it's not just an opportunity to see where your own players are at. It's an opportunity to evaluate your own evaluation. Oh, were we too high on this player? Were we not high enough on this player? Oh, geez, this player, we have this concern. It looks like he's working through that, which is going to become not only important for your evaluation of all the players, but it's also going to help you in your continuous evaluation as you try to build your team, whether it be through the draft or whether it be through trades and and understanding that when a prospect becomes available, oh, no, 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 that team's giving up on him too soon. We're ready to... We're ready to make that trade. So, you, you know, you can look at your own players that you've drafted, but you also have to look at the whole of, because you get a chance at one player each round. I mean, I know there's extra picks that teams acquire, but right. what about all the other players that get drafted that you were part of evaluating? <laughs> that becomes evaluating yourself is a really key component of scouting. What? Yeah, you you bring up something really interesting when you when you when it's all kind of like said and done, and you're looking at it. And I have quoted you for probably all you know decades now, Craig. Is that you've always told me that when your time is there, when you're on the clock, and there's a player there that you like, regardless of what, if you like him. Just take him. Don't overthink it. That's the way you should go. Do you think teams sometimes have a tendency to overthink it? Or do you think that they all develop that same kind of philosophy? We're on the board. This is the guy we like. 
this is the guy we're going to go with. Yeah, I, I think that in I think in any type of endeavor, there's there's the there's a tendency to overthink it, and and when you have one crack at it, so you're you're picking eleven, so you got one crack at eleven, and you're going, okay, what about this? What about that? I think those discussions have had to be able to be played out long before, De- right. discuss them, debate them, de- disagree on them, and and then come. But I also think that you have to be somewhat flexible. I don't think you just sit down and go, okay, that's the next guy. You know, you may say, hey, listen, you know, this is unfolding here. You know, what do we think? Do we think, you know, the Red Wings this year have those three second round picks in a row, right? So things may change around and you may go, hey, listen, you know, this player we think pretty highly of. Is this an opportunity for us to trade, you know, two of our second round picks, move up a little bit to get the player we want? I think you got to be flexible in that regard. But it doesn't mean you're any less decisive. And I think right. that, to your point, you have to celebrate the players you draft. Like, this is what we got. People go, well, why did they take that player? Well, they like this player. On draft day, I tell parents this, I tell agents this, I tell everybody this. On draft day, players got drafted exactly where they should have. Because there was no team before them that was prepared to take that player. <laughs> you were drafted 35th, that's where you went. Yeah, after time... We're going to be able to look and say, oh, boy, maybe he should have gone higher or maybe he shouldn't have gone as high, whatever. Bottom line is, where you get drafted is exactly where you should have gone. Celebrate that this is who we want. Don't worry about everybody else, what they think. It doesn't matter. What matters is your evaluations, your trust in those evaluations, and then understanding what that player can bring, being realistic in your projections, and then helping in the development process with that player. Well, when you look at it, and now shifting gears, and and I really, I, re- I really like uh, you know what you had to say there. I mean, it it, it it definitely truly makes sense. But when you, we look at this, and you know, I, I you know, I wanted to ask you this question. I've been thinking about it. Figure now, nah, this might be kind of dumb, but you know, we always hear the generational talent is generational about every ten years. But I am kind of curious. It seems now that. Maybe a player that might be listed as generational, it's less than 10 years. Is that because kids today, this is all they do? You know, I mean, heck, I mean, you know, from, you know, not that they're all like Todd Marinovich, if you don't know who I'm relating to, uh, Google him, but, you know, that, you know, from birth practically, oh, you're going to be a hockey player. You know, I mean, that these guys are, are fully engaged. The methods are better. Training methods are better. The science is better. Nutrition's better. They need to get their sleep. I mean, these kids, even though they're not professionals, kind of are leading a professional life from a very early age in order to get where they want to be, which is ultimately the NHL. They're exposed at much younger ages to the opportunity to, to, to focus in on a particular sport, uh, to get the coaching and the training and, and to understand, you know, what needs to be applied. I mean, it's very different and it's changed over the last 20 years from the 20 years previous to that and certainly to the years previous to that. And, you know, you think about, you know, what, what access the players have to good coaching and good nutrition and strength and physiology uh, regiments that can help you become better and understand how, how you continue to develop a, a talent. And, and that becomes really key. And, 
you know, when, when you talk about generational, and, and I understand the question, is that, mm -hmm. so, so when we when we use the term generational, you know, you start to say, okay, generational should be once in a generation. Okay, right. so if we're talking about the overall hockey world, you would say, okay, there should only be a generational player, you know, once every generation. But when you start to look back and you start to look at where the players have come from, you know, a, a, a Sidney Crosby from uh, from Nova Scotia is different than a Connor McDavid from Toronto, who's different than a Connor Bedard uh, from Lower Mainland Vancouver, and you can go back to Bobby Orr from Perry Sound. I mean, Mary Lemieux from Montreal, Quebec. You know, why can't you have a generational player every three years from a different area of the hockey world? You can. Generational right. doesn't mean that it only happens once every generation. It's not like Haley's Comet, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that, that we get an opportunity to whatever, see whenever. You know, you know, these players can be generational coming from different regions of the hockey world. And I think it's not so much – the way I use the word generational when I talk about a player isn't so much about, you know, one every generation. It's about they're doing things that you don't see uh, like on a common occurrence very often. And that, to me, is, is what separates generational. I've been asked this question about Connor Bedard. It took me, because I got asked it when he got exceptional status to go into the Western Hockey League draft. And mm -hmm. I, I think people are too quick to say generational. I, I'm going to take my time on this. It was at the World Junior Tournament when I got comfortable saying, I think he's a generational player. I need to see more evidence of it. But here's what pushed me to that level. And I'm not saying he is this player. What Connor Bedard did at the World Junior Tournament, this past World Junior Tournament, hadn't been done since Wayne Gretzky did it at the 1978 World Junior Tournament. And what I'm talking about is a player that age that dominates the tournament like no other. And then you start to put in everything he's done since he entered the Western Hockey League. Dominance. What he did internationally. Dominance. And so... I now, having watched this over a period of just about, at that point in time, two and a half years, felt comfortable using the generational tag. Because mm -hmm. when you go all the way back to Wayne Gretzky in 1978, the last time somebody did that at the World Junior Tournament, and Wayne dominated junior hockey, like McDavid, but McDavid, Lemieux, Lindra, those guys never dominated the World Junior Tournament, like, like Connor Bedard. Yeah, they're all generational players, but that, for me, made me a lot more comfortable saying Connor Bedard's a generational player. Because if you look at it, 1978 to 2023, I think that's more than a generation, would you say? Yeah, definitely, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I definitely would. I definitely would. With that said, the one thing that I've been reading about Connor Bedard is, is that because he has been scrutinized since a very early age and was labeled can't miss that, as he gets closer to the draft, then you start to pick his game apart and or you know you see maybe some flaws or the warts or whatever but consistently everybody says every time they go to see him they just think he gets better and better that he doesn't really have a glaring weakness to his game and you know and and you know and, and a guy who stands 5 foot 9 like me him being 5 foot 9 and 3 quarters just make just warms my heart uh, that you know somebody his size is that gifted and that good? And I, I had a general manager tell me 
that the thing that makes him great is that, you know, he might not be the greatest skater, but he's fast, he's quick, and his hockey IQ is off the charts. And then they ended it with, remember, people thought that Wayne Gretzky couldn't skate either. You know, I mean, he's, he is just the complete package. Am I overstating it? But, I mean, the Blackhawks obviously have gotten a generational talent. I think so, Art. And so back to the World Junior Tournament, we were preparing for the gold medal game. And, you know, we're uh, th- that's when I was going to, for me, to say he's a generational talent. I, I was going to make that say. So we're, we're on this, we're talking, there's a whole bunch of us talking. And are you sure? Are you this? Same things. Skating, what about this? That, and, and I turned to Bob McKenzie and I said, Bob, what did they say about Gretzky? They said, too slow, uh, not a great shot, uh, not big enough, going to get killed in pro hockey. <laughs> like and, and we laugh right and like you know bob watched wayne gretzky and sue st marie so he like you know and, and so you know and again you you start talking about work john paddock who was in regina as the manager and the coach he said to me he goes there is no spotlight this young man has entered that has been too bright for him he has excelled at every single stage since he was 12. And yeah, the NHL's the, the best league on the planet, and it's got the best players. And will it be more challenging? Yeah, but all the way through, Connor has been able to meet those those uh, challenges. And there's no reason to believe that he that he won't continue to do exactly that. And I think that it's easy to 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 go through players. You talk about five nine. I think he was just measured at five nine and three quarters at the NHL Combine. Right. Yeah. So. You know, there's two there's two places I'm going, and they both have Detroit legacy stories. People, and you know, are you've been around, said the most perfect player may have been Gordy Howe. Right. <laughs> so right, right. if if that's the only perfect player that's ever played the game, okay, well then, good luck trying to have a perfect player. And I think Barry Sanders was a lot shorter than Connor Bedard, and I know you've said this. Maybe the greatest running back of all time. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I, I'm a, a bit of a homer, but yeah, Barry was <laughs> was sensational. Yeah, so it's not yeah. the height; it's right. it's all the other things that you use to your advantage, right? And you know, you talk about Gretzky and and, and the IQ. I mean, just the, I always joke with people about Wayne Gretzky. If you count up, if you count up the playoff points and the regular season points, it's over three thousand points. Okay. And you think right. about it's Wayne easy. Gretzky went out there. Everybody knew who was coming out on the ice. The other teams, for the vast majority of times, tried to have their best players out against them. In the best league against the best players, Wayne Gretzky destroyed it like no other player before him. Oh, yeah. I don't know if it's just about being big and having a hard shot and uh, being able to skate fast. It all matters. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, well, I think... Obviously, the consensus pick. I mean, it would be a shocker that if if Connor Bedard is not taken, you know, I would call for a congressional investigation. I mean, there it just seems that this is obviously. I mean, I'm not thrilled that he's going to be a Blackhawk. I have to be honest, but you know, but I'm really eager, and I can't wait to see him in this league. I really cannot wait to see him play at the NHL level. Now, going on, it appears, Craig. From all the research and reading you and having, you know, Craigslist is, you know, it's right in front of me here. Uh, We may not know the order after Bedard, but it appears that 
Adam Fantilli is definitely up in the top four. If he doesn't go second overall, then Leo Carlson, and then maybe the real wild card in the uh, uh, is Mitchkoff, the Russian, Matthai uh, uh, Mitchkoff, because yeah, I've read all these kind of reports. You know, he's trying to finagle his way to somehow play with Ovechkin and get down to, what is it, eight, I believe, Washington's at. I'm going off the top of my head. I just don't see that happening. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Pat Verbeek decides to just upset the apple cart at pick two and just go for him. I mean, I mean, everything I read about Mitchkoff is that Bedard's great, but this guy's not that far behind. Am I overstating it? No. And, and I agree with you about Pat Verbeek. And I, I can make a case for, for Mitchkoff going number two to uh, Anaheim. And before I make my case, I, I will say this. Pat Verbeek's going to do what he thinks is best. He doesn't care what anybody thinks. Purge <laughs> of his convictions. He's out there. You know, I just talked about Steve. You know, Pat's had his eyes. Pat's had his eyes out there. He knows. He knows these players. And he's been invested in the process of evaluation. So that's number one, or, or that's the preamble. Number one, the first player ever drafted by the Mighty Ducks was the diminutive Paul Correa. Right. And I heard lots of talk about, oh, Paul Correa was too small. Paul Correa was great. And so that's number one for a case for them drafting him. Number two, you look at where their timeline is with respect to, you know, they can wait three years. Their timeline is three years waiting for Meechkoff. They have some really good centers in Zegris and McTavish and, and Ryan Strome tied up. And, you know, and so a, 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 a dynamic, you know, what I call it, an elite striker uh, is, is now available, you know, and you, and you don't have to rush it along. You know, why not Matvey Mishkov, who has that ability? Number three, Pat Verbeek watched a top, top player in Tampa Bay become an NHL MVP, one of the best players in the NHL, win two Stanley Cups, that's Nikita Kucherov. Right. And I'll finish it with this with Pat Verbeek. He played with lots of good Russian players. He played with lots of good smaller players. Pat Verbeek himself was not the biggest player. So there's not going to be any size bias. There's not going to be any passport bias. And if Pat Verbeek were to select Matt Vemichkov, there is more than enough reason to have faith that this is an outstanding pick for the Anaheim Ducks. And that's nothing against Fantilli or nothing against Leo Carlson. That's the case for Anaheim drafting Matt Faye Mitchkoff. Well, yeah, I, again, I, and, and, you know, Mitchkoff is, is intriguing. And, you know, Red Wing fans are approaching me all the time. They go, well, if that Russian kid's there at number nine, I go, first of all, I don't think he's going to be there at number nine. I go, you know, Steve would be doing cartwheels up to the podium to take his name. I go, but that's just not going to happen. I mean, that's, I mean, he is a really high-end talent, regardless of the world situation, you know, which I wish was not, you know, as unsettled as it is. Uh, but, uh, I, I mean, this guy is, you have to take him, right? I mean, if you, if you know, it goes back to the old Craig Button uh if if the player's there and you want him and your number you know it's your time just take him and do you, what do you think and I and I hate to put you on the spot like this because we we both know and respect a little ball of hate uh, uh, that 
that you know that he goes off the board and he just throws caution to the wind because you make a compelling case. They have some pretty good young high-end forwards already. Waiting three years for him for a team that is you know really is still in the early stages of a rebuild almost makes sense to me. Well, I think you just made another case. It makes sense, <laughs> right? Yeah. So it really and, does. Nothing. You know, we, and I love Fantilli. I mean, yeah, he's a Michigan guy. And, 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 and you, you know, you like I, the case for Fantilli, the speed that he possesses, the goal-scoring ability with that speed, in my view, after Bedard, a player ready to play in the NHL. So those are factors that certainly support the selection of, of that Fantilli. It's not like it's not like you're passing on Matt Vaynichkov to take somebody lesser because he's there. Adam Fantilli's a heck of a player. No but doubt. back to he, he here's he, and I worked with a guy at NBC when we did the draft. His name is Dan Steer. He was a senior vice president, long time at NBC. He's also a Michigan man, just so you know. But <laughs> he always we always and I, I was so refreshing. He did a lot of different drafts in different leagues, but he always used to say, "He goes, I never want to hear anybody stay off the board." And he and and he said, "I'll tell you why." He goes, "Because the only board that matters to the team is their board." Why? You're now going to introduce your board so it's off your board, so it's off their board? They're taking the guy. It can't be off their board. He goes, I don't want to ever hear you say it. So, <laughs> Pat, the only thing that matters for Pat Verbeek, and that's why my preamble, he doesn't really care what anybody thinks. He right, doesn't care right. if anybody says, whoa, that's off the board. Pat Verbeek's going to do exactly what he feels is best for his franchise. And that's courage of your convictions. Well, when you look at it, I mean, let, let's say, you know, uh, Pat Pat decides, okay, you know, it's Mitch Coffey, you know, I'm, I'm waiting, I'm going to do that. Does that mean, because it, there seems to be a consensus top four for most things that I've read in research, it's Bedard, Fantilli, Carlson, and Mitchkoff. If that's the case, do they just get slotted down? Fantilli might go three or four, and then Carlson will either go three and four, that the draft really doesn't begin until you get to the fifth pick overall, those top four guys are head and shoulders, and I hate this expression too, but head and shoulders maybe a little bit more uh, oomph to them than there are for everybody else. And there's some wonderful hockey players that I just diss. But uh, 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 what do you think, Craig? I mean, would, would that be it? I mean, Mishkov goes second, Fantilli third, Carlson fourth, or, or, or just flip them around? I think you have to put Will Smith in that category with those guys. I really do. I'm trying to. I'm trying to somehow get him to fall the nine. I like yeah. candles in church yeah. every day. Here's what I would say: is is that like, uh, good luck. <laughs> good luck. That's what I would say. I, I, I think Will Smith deserves to be in that conversation. Uh, I know. I know. Talking and listening to different NHL teams, and not. And, and I'm not specifically talking about Anaheim or or Columbus or San Jose in that spot, but a number right. of different teams that talk about Will Smith favorably in that category of player. And, and I think it's fair. I think that I think it warrants his inclusion in that group. And when you watch Will play and you watch the impact he can have on a game, uh, I think it's pretty significant. Uh, the, the comparable type of player that I've used for, for Will is Mika Zibanejad, who plays oh, wow. with the New York Rangers and was a first-round pick to the Ottawa Senators. And I, I watch Will play, and he, he, he can play fast. He can play skilled. He can kill penalties. He can play on the defensive side of the game. He, he, he's got so many different abilities. 
And he's a playmaker as much as he is a shooter. And I think when you start to look at somebody so well-rounded as, as Will Smith, I think you have to look at him. He, he might not have the blazing speed of, of Adam Fantilli or the striking ability of Matt Van Mitchkoff or kind of the, the big size presence and confidence in his hands uh, in terms of playmaking like Leo Carlson. But all the things that Will Smith has in his game and all the skills and talents and attributes he possesses are high-end. And, you know, that, that, that saying about the whole is greater than the sum of the parts? Right. I think that, and, and I'm not talking about just, I'm talking about at like elite, at like an elite level. I think that sums up Will Smith. Yeah, I, I well, yeah, I, I was going to say, and I know we're jumping around, and I know Red Wing fans say, well, you know, they're get to the Red Wings, but I watched the U18s. You guys, you know, obviously wonderful job by you and the crew. Uh, uh, I watched you. every, I, I watched every game and, you know, and they always, because of maybe Cole Iserman, who spells his name differently than Steve, you know, there was always, a, his team always seemed to be at the USA games. And I'm thinking, well, does he have his eye on one of the four high-end American players, Will Smith, Ryan Leonard, who I'm actually because I think you're right, Smith's gone. I'm, I'm I would love to see Leonard. You know, I, I really would. Uh, uh, Gabe Perot, who I don't know, it seems to be undervalued to me. And then the guy who's the best skater in the in the entire draft, Oliver Moore, that maybe at number nine. And again, I'm I apologize to the audience. We're, I know we're really moving around here and jumping all over because that's you know that's my ADD kicking in at this point. But uh, w- w- with that said, I mean the. I mean, one of those four Americans could be a distinct possibility, depending on who's left at nine for Detroit. I, I, I would imagine. I would imagine that two, maybe even three of those players could all be left as a choice for the Red Wings at nine. Really? I, 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 again, talking over the course of, of, of months, you know, you talk to somebody, they go, they think Ryan Leonard is the best player. Some mm-hmm. people think Gabe Perot is. Some people feel that Oliver Moore, I, I see a lot of Dylan Larkin and Oliver Moore. Well, who right, doesn't want right. Dylan Larkin on their team? Right. Including right. the Red Wings, right? right. Gabe Perot is, a, is, is an elite offensive player that competes and is so smart. And Ryan Leonard is a, is, is a fast, determined, hard, competitive player. You know, the Detroit Red Wings, uh, I'm trying to think. I think they drafted him ninth or tenth. I don't exactly recall. Marty Lapointe. Now Marty Lapointe. I, he was ten. He was ten. He was ten. Now Marty Lapointe was a really, really good junior player. Very, very good junior player. Hard, fast, skilled. You know what he became with the Detroit Red Wings. And to me, if I told you that Ryan Leonard could become the next version, maybe a little bit different than Marty Lapointe, who, who's who's going to say no? Right, right. Well, I, I, I mean, I'll tell you, Craig, this is where I'm coming, and I'm being completely irrational here. People say, if you're the Red Wings, what what would you do? And, you know, and I've said this on previous podcasts, but, you know, I want to hear it from you because, Craig, you don't know how many times you've actually talked me off the Ambassador Bridge in some of my theories here. Uh, is, is that if I'm the Red Wings and I'm Steve and I look at it in number nine, you know, on the clock, Detroit Red Wings. And I'm looking at it. I don't care if the guy is playing in the Reykjavik Men's League. 
whoever has the highest goal total out of the, all the players left, that's a guy I'm drafting because I just can, watching this team struggle to score goals is almost too much for me to bear. I know it's irrational. I probably shouldn't think that way, but I'm at that point now. I just want them, and I know it's not an exact science, just just pick a goal scorer at nine. Just a goal scorer. I don't care if he's a 200-foot player or not. A goal scorer who has a high hockey IQ, because that's still the number one priority for the Red Wings. I think that it, you know you have to have a high hockey, hockey IQ or you're never going to play for them. Uh, but I, I, I'm just kind of curious. Am, am I just like, is it art? Come off the bridge. Come off the bridge here. That is not a good way to look at this draft. No, I, I, so we talked about, you heard what I said earlier, you know, I, somebody could have somebody rated 18th, another team might have them rated eighth and vice versa. And, you know, all the combinations and permutations within that. What I would say to you is this, is that these now become, you know, kind of the, 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 the dividers, Right. You, mm-hmm. you know, as we get older, we do eye tests, right? You know, when you go for an eye test, they go better, worse, better, worse, better, worse, right? And then they try to get the exact lens, right? Well, right. This, is, this is what you're trying to do with the draft. So you're looking at a group of players. So, so let's just stay on the forward group here. Let's just stay on the forward group here. And so we just talked about Leonard, Moore, and Perot. So I, I'm going to introduce a couple of other players just for, just for, for, to add to it. So I'm going to okay. just... Dalibor Dvorsky, Colby Barlow, Matthew Wood. I'm just adding those three other right. players. So now they're all different. It would be nice if it was just like, well, this player is clearly the best ahead. So now you're looking and going, okay, Ryan Leonard brings this, Matthew Wood brings that, Colby Barlow brings this, Dalibor Dvorsky. And now you're going, okay, so I, who, who might be the better goal scorer? Who has been the better goal scorer? Who projects as the better goal scorer? Where does he fit in our lineup? And so I'm sitting here and I just introduced six players. Okay. Now, do I think all six will be there at nine? No. But do I think that like maybe four or five of them could be? Yeah. So that's the process of going through it and saying, I think that this player is the one because he possesses and this quality of goal scoring that, that, that gives him the edge when we're picking there. So, you know, Gabe Perot had lots of goals. Ryan Leonard had 51 goals, right? right? He's a little bit different. You know, Matthew Wood, I mean, he he, he goes to the University of Connecticut as a 17-year-old, has a great year. Coley Barlow is a heck of a player and a goal scorer. Like, I wish you could, I could just sit down and say, that's the guy. <laughs> but right. that's the challenge, and that's why at nine, you know, people say, I mean, we're going to do a mock draft on on Friday, and we have a lot of fun with it. Who could be a fit? Who couldn't be a fit? And, and, and why? And, you know, people say to me, oh, yeah, well, you don't know. I said, yeah, I don't know. Guess what? The NHL teams don't know either. And Steve Eisenman has an idea right now of the group of players. He, he might have a preference of one, two, three, and four as long with the group, but they don't know who they're picking yet at nine. So how the hell am I going to know? Uh, And I know it's all subjective and it's all whatever the Red Wings list says, but at this point, with the group of six players that you just named and all of them forwards, and all of them have high upside and goal-scoring ability, would you be stunned and shocked if Detroit takes a defenseman at number nine? Because I certainly would be 
Uh, I, I mean, he would have to be the second coming of, you know, Bobby Orr and Nigel Lindstrom for me to even consider it. But, I, I, I mean, they have to go forward at nine, right? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, mean <laughs> Sorry, I don't know Craig. if you're trying to get me to put a stake in the ground. I mean, I mean, we were just talking, <laughs> we're just talking about Pat Verbeek and we talked about lifts, right? I, right? Here's what I would say. I wouldn't be surprised if Matt Vigmitkoff went two to Anaheim. I, 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 I'm concurring with you that it would surprise me, not not based on how I look at the players or how I look at, because I really like Axel Sandy and Pelican. I really like mm-hmm. Tommy Dillon. And David Reinbacher is a, is a good, solid defender. But, but I think, as you point out, forward goal scoring ability, you know, I think that that's where the leanings are. And I, and, and I think that that's why I would, I would say to myself, you know, forward seems the most likely spot for them to land. And if they did draft the defenseman, it would be interesting to to hear, you know, what the projection of that player is. Because what I would suggest is, is that if they did take a defenseman at nine, it's because they see a defenseman that has the abilities to be a real top-notch defender like Morris Sider, like Seaman Edmondson, both six overall picks. Was, was the Edmondson was a six overall pick? Yeah. Right? Oh yeah. I can't yeah. believe he dropped that low to be. Yeah. Honest. Neither can I. And you know, but you start to that, that would be the projection that they've made though by taking a defender at nine. And I would, but and now like you know, famous for talking out of both sides of my mouth. If they keep the 17th pick, and you know, according to today, because they still have it, Steve said, "Well, I'm planning on using 17." I would be less surprised or, you know, shocked if maybe if one of the gentlemen you just mentioned, one of the players, I I wouldn't have no problem with them taking a defenseman at 17. But nine, I would have a great issue with. But here's what I think, too. I think at 17, you're still left with a with a good group of, of, of forwards that are top two line players that can add to your scoring. So I like again. I think it'll have to come back down to you know. Do you see a defender? And, and m- frankly, Art, I don't think though. I, I don't think one of those top three defenders will be there at seventeen for the Reds. Right, right. I, that's just my own. That's just my own assessment of it. So you know, unless there's somebody else later, the, I shouldn't say later, or somebody else. But I think they're going to be left with a really good opportunity to look at another forward who can score. Yeah, well, you know, that, that's music to my ears, Craig, because I'm all about the forward core. I mean, it, you know, at this point, what do they have, uh, 41, 42, 43 right in a row? Uh, you know, I'm sure you could get a pretty good quality prospect, defensive prospect that way. But, you know, again, Craig, with with all of every – with such a deep draft, especially with the forward core – uh, you know, fans keep asking me, you know, is there going to be a lot of wheeling dealing? Do you see teams trading up or Detroit packaging some of those assets and maybe making a trade? I think at this point, it's as wide open as I've ever remembered it with a lot of options, especially from a Red Wing perspective, based on having uh, five picks in the top 43. Uh, that th- there's probably, and I'm sure he's considering it, there's a lot of ways Steve could go. Oh, there's no question. I don't think there's any question there's a lot of places he could go and I think that that becomes uh, you know really really interesting with respect to the ability 
the ability to, uh, you know, like, again, the ability to, to, to look at where a player fits, when he fits, how he fits. Because, like, I, I think Draken is, you're looking at players and potential and, and, and what you think they can do and to help your team win. But it's also vis-a-vis what you have in your system. And, and where you see other players and timelines and all those things that go, unless you're like, you're picking Connor Bedard, right? Like right. that's just automatic. Connor McDavid becomes available. I don't care how many centers you have. You're taking Connor McDavid, right? But when you get to this point in the draft, I think it does change. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I agree with you and, 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 you know, looking at it and I, I, I know I'm kind of jumping as I said all around, but a player that intrigues me, and I don't know why, but I, I would hope that Detroit would look at it, and I'm sure that they are. And I know that there's been, you know, he's really somewhat of a polarizing figure, which I can't understand, but I don't really know his whole backstory. But Callum Ritchie, if I'm pronouncing his name right, seems to me, you know, he plays for Oshawa in the O. He's a center right wing, good size you know, 59 points in 59 games, 24 goals. Should he be in the mix? Yes, absolutely he should be. I don't think there's any doubt he should be. And, you know, he's a, he reminds me a lot of Alex Tuck. And it took Alex Tuck a little bit of time to find that level of play that we see, with, that we see him now having. And I think that when, when we look at it, uh, that he is a player, the size, the skill, the abilities, that he is a player that warrants consideration at that pick. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I mean, well, you know, he probably is because I know Steve, uh, you know, right away, as a matter of fact, and we're probably going to put this podcast out uh, tomorrow, but as soon as we're done, I'm sending the raw feed right to Steve. So uh, we'll go so right he'll... ahead. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about Cal. Callum Ritchie, who I've watched for a number of years now. And, you know, how we define a power forward in today's game is different than how it was defined 20 years ago. It's a different game. It's a different style of game. And and, and the way the power forward plays today is not so much about running over people as much as it is about holding holding your position, using your size to, 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 to make it hard for players, uh, opponents to get to the puck and asserting yourself and using that reach and that length and however they describe that size. Now, I, I've watched Cal and I see a lot of, I see a lot of uh, ability and I see a lot of really good, strong hockey sense in Callum Ritchie. And, you know, I think at times I'd go and watch games and I would see him play well and I always liked everything. And then at times I was doing rankings and ratings and I would, oh, geez, he didn't do this and and then I said, I, I don't know if I'm being fair to Callum Ritchie. And what mm-hmm. I did is, is I went back and I watched some video of games that I was at and a couple other games just to try to get a feel. And th- this is my own assessment. This is where I got to with Cal Ritchie. I said, his game doesn't work well when the game around him is chaotic. He's not one that's going to try to force things or try. He, he, he settles into a really good, smart game. And if it becomes chaos and everything, he still plays really smart and really with an efficiency and a real understanding, okay, I, I, th- this game has just become a little bit out of sorts and I'm going to still do my part and not get not be part of a chaotic game. And it changed my view on him. And I said, well, the, the NHL game isn't chaotic. 
The, the no. NHL game is orderly. The NHL game, everybody, the players know where everybody is. The players are in the right positions, you know. And so when I've watched Cal internationally, when he's he's always been one of the best players. Well, why? There's better players there. The game's more orderly. And I really think that Cal's game translates exactly to the NHL for those reasons. Yeah. I, and I'm, Because at times what we want to do, and we're all guilty of it, and I'm guilty of it, you go and watch players and, and you want to see them play good. And, and then you're, okay, he didn't play as good as I thought. Or, geez, what's wrong there? And, and maybe there's never anything wrong. And I think, again, evaluate your own evaluation. Yeah, certainly. I, 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 I wanted to uh, go quickly towards 41, 42, and 43. I guess I would be stunned if Detroit kept all those picks, but who knows? Maybe they will, depending on how the draft plays itself out. I mean, at, at that point, that high up, I would imagine that there is still going to be a pretty good talent pool available for those three consecutive picks that the Red Wings will make. Oh, there's going to be a huge, there's going to be a huge, huge (laughs) uh, 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 opportunity for them to, uh, to be able to uh, look at those players. Yeah. And lots of good players. And, you know, again, you know, there's going to be players that are uh, that, that are going to be uh, a little bit further down the road in terms of their development and in, in terms of, of when they're ready to, to, to push forward. But at the same time, there's going to be an opportunity for, for some really good, talented players there. Some players that have shown, uh, you know, potential. That they might be a little bit more raw from a physical standpoint. But, you know, the, the, the abilities and the skills that they've demonstrated maybe may, may take them a little bit longer to be able to take that to the NHL level, but they're there. And, you know, again, I'm like you. Like, they're going to look at their list and they're going to go, hey, let's try to move up. I, I, I really believe that that's going to give them an opportunity to, to, to move up. And, 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 you know, maybe there's an opportunity that presents itself with – with the 17th pick and one of those second round picks to move to 12. Right. To, to, to get up there. I, you know, I, I kind of agree with you. I, I, I think that I, 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 I want to ask you about one more player because I'm such a Michigan slappy, but a guy that I really like, and he is not the biggest guy in the world. I, I five, seven and a half, uh, you know, scored, uh, uh, I guess in the, uh, NCAA regional scored the, uh, uh, the overtime goal, like seconds into the game. And that's a guy that I just, like and I didn't realize, even though I've been watching him play, exactly him only being five seven and a half or something. That's a guy like Gavin Brindley. Is this a kid that has a legitimate shot because he just seems to be a ball of energy and has the heart and desire? And I don't know. Again, you know, I get fixated on certain players, and Gavin Brindley's one of them. You should be fixated on Gavin Brindley. So let's just go look at that area of the draw. 41, 42, 43, right? So that is the perfect opportunity in my view. You don't have one pick, right? So now mm-hmm. you, you you have players that you like and, and you're trying to project them out and you're saying, okay, where is there a, who, who is the player here that we would, that we really like? We, obviously size concern would come into there or size consideration would come in there. But then you look at all the other elements, the, the ability for him to, to, to be energetic, good skater, really smart. Like, it, you know, creates a lot of different advantages 
uh, for his team. And he did it at the World Junior. He did it at Michigan. That's exactly the spot that you that, 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 with, with those extra picks. Did you take a? Did you take Gavin Brittle? I'm not right, saying the right. Red Wings will. I'm just saying with those picks, that's where you go. Yeah, we're taking Gavin Brittle, and that that's the luxury of being able to have multiple picks right in that spot because not not, not everything has to be a sure thing, but it can be a, a, an opportunity to bet on something, and certainly Gavin Brindley's worth betting on. Yeah, I yeah, I, I mean, I I would be ecstatic. I think one time I saw my. Yeah, I was at a Red Wing practice, and Sean Harkoff's up there talking to somebody, and you know, and he nods at me and nods at me. I go, Gavin Brindley, he's a player, he's a player, Sean, and he just kind of looked at me, and just because you know he went to Michigan State, obviously, and he, you know, he he knew that I wasn't being too objective, but I wasn't kidding. I still think he's a player. Uh, uh, real quickly, I just want to touch upon a couple of other players, and because I, I have a couple of questions uh, uh, overall about the draft to, to end this here. I mean, we've We've talked for almost two hours now. Unfortunately, you know, we're up to like 52 minutes of the actual podcast. But guys, again, that, you know, I find intriguing. I know you talked about Matthew Wood, really good size, looked well at UConn. I thought he played well at the uh, uh, at the U18s. But uh, guys that, again, that pretty much intrigue me, and I'm going to give you four names, all of them forwards because I'm forward obsessed, uh, Brayton Yeager, Nate Danielson, Daniil Butt, uh, and also uh, Quentin Musty. Yeah, what I would say is, is you know, at, are we at seven? I think they'll be available at nine. I don't think they'll be available at seventeen. Okay. Uh, Jaeger and Danielson. I think that they fall into that gap. You know, be, be I shouldn't say gap. I think they're selected before seventeen. Mm-hmm. So, so now you start to go. So. Daniel Boot is, is is a good goal scorer. He, he's somebody that you're looking at as somebody that's more longer range, uh, you know, to come over. But goal scoring ability. Quentin Musty, and, and it's interesting, Quentin's a good player. He's more playmaker than goal scorer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you – and, and, and he can score goals, but he, he, he I, I see him more at, 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 as the playmaking type. And he's bigger than Tero, uh, uh, Toyovo Teravainen. But mm-hmm. Tara Vinan's a playmaker, and he's a good playmaker, and he has been a good playmaker. I see Musty along that lines of a playmaker. I don't see him as that top-end goal scorer. So it, it, there's nothing wrong with good playmakers. He runs a power play. He, he's good along the wall. He's good below the circles and good in and around the net. But, you know, I, I, I think his, his bent in terms of projection is more along the lines of playmaker rather than goal scorer. Right, yeah, and, and I wanted to say, Craig, because yeah, I could sit here and just go through the whole list, although I will say this. I, I, I was watching, the, you know, the U18s, and uh, uh, I really, really uh, liked the uh, uh, the Swedish line of Leo Carlson with, with Lucas Raymond, or the U20s, I guess I should say. Uh, Lucas Raymond and uh, Jonathan Berggren, and, and Leo and Leo Carlson, I mean, you know, they just seem to to uh, to just really mesh really quickly. And I, I would imagine that's because of the you know the Swedish hockey school or or you know the, it, it's just such a good league. But I mean, but Carlson is obviously top four. I I, I really wanted to touch upon him too. Yeah, I think he's like Nick Batchelor. I mean, you know, one of the things for Leo, Leo was 
was kind of that, uh, not kind of, he, he was that tall, lanky player that all of a sudden just the, the physical maturity started to take over. And so now it's not just becoming bigger, it's being able to move around with more size and more weight and more bulk. It wasn't, it was just natural maturity. And I, over right. the, you know, from, from, from last summer to the fall to Christmas into the spring and into the world championship, I, I, you could just see Leo just, you know, adopting to that, to, to that increased size and moving like he always did, mo- moving more gracefully. And he, he's really good with the puck on a stick. He, he's got that great vision, that great ability to see where, where, where advantages can be created. And, and, and then he's got the finishing hands to be able to put the puck into those spots. And he, he, he's probably a little bit better goal scorer than I gave him credit for, because I think that he, he, he being forced to play left wing at the World Junior you know, put him into put him into a different mindset, and I, I think that's helped Leo Carlson and helped him become, uh, you know, very, more well-rounded. But you know, when I look at Leo Carlson and I see a player that can do so many things when the puck's on his stick, you know, it, a number one center is what screams to mind. I'm going to bring oh, yeah. one name to you that yeah. that that, that I want to bring to you, and I think the world of them, and I think teams. Uh, you know, when I've talked to teams, and because and, I get asked about them once, because I haven't rated very high, and I get asked about them once, and I just said, be careful. Now, I'm going to tell you why I say be careful after the fact. Edward Shallow. Edward Shallow is a Czechia player who mm-hmm. I think has a lot of what Jason Robertson has in his game. Can score, can make plays, is hungry in and around the net, drives play, really good in those tight areas. And we all know what Jason Robertson is in the National Hockey League. And I think Edward Shala has that type of game. And what I tried, what I, what I said to, to, to teams and when they've asked me about it, I said, David Pasternak was the 25th pick overall. And there was only one reason why he was a 25th pick overall. He had a bad back. He was playing in Sweden. He wasn't able to show as much in, the, in, the, in, in February. Then he got to the under 18. He was still suffering from it. And he didn't show exactly what his ability. I've watched David Pasternak play since he was 14 years of age. I've watched Edward Shallow play for over two years. Played in the Czech Extra Liga. It's hard league for a young player to get his footing in. At at, at the at the age at his age level, and at his age level with players ahead of him, he's always been one of the best players. I tell NHL teams, don't put yourself in the same position teams did with David Pasternak. Because I think Edward Shala is a brilliant prospect. Well, yeah, you know, and he's big too. He's left wing, six yep. two, one seventy four. I mean, you know, certainly he would foot the bill. You know, and, and that kind of leads up to my question. And if there's any other players that we haven't touched upon that you would like to, Craig, obviously feel free. But you know, the Red Wings, you know, they made it their mandate. Uh, when the season ended, is that they want to get bigger, they want to get grittier, they want to be tougher to play against. That will not happen, or have I tried to explain to Red Wing fans, that can't happen by this draft, drafting players now. I mean, this is something that they want to do immediately. That would he have to go through free agency or trades for those type of players. I mean, they, you know, if a team wants to get gritty and more physical and harder to play against, you know, one draft isn't going to do it. I mean, it's it just, you know, the timeline for these players is not... You know, they're, they're two, three years away unless you're 
Connor Bedard or, or Adam Fantilli or somebody. How about this? How about we just go back and we started this talking about legacy and we started talking about the great the great sports teams in the Detroit area. And right. of course we're talking about the Red Wings, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm just going to take you through a little time warp, okay? The Red Wings won the Stanley Cup in 1997, 98, and 2002. They were gritty, weren't they? Yeah. Well, they drafted Marty Lapointe in 1991. They drafted Darren McCarty in 1992. They traded for uh, Kurt Maltby and Chris Draper after that. So you're right. The players you're drafting now are not going to set you up for success presently or next no. season. But if you're working to build your team, you better start getting them now. And that's exactly what the Red Wings did. And that's exactly where the focus was back then for the Red Wings. And that's exactly what led them to success. Well, you know, I, and I think what happens is, is that let's say, you know, for the, let's say Detroit keeps all five picks for, you know, the, uh, 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 917 and then the you know 41 42 43 and they all drafted like behemoth physical players this big guys uh you're right Steve wants that kind of team but he knows that when these guys are ready to play I'm sure he's already hoping he has that team in place but that's when these guys are gonna you know inherit the uh the brass ring so to speak and and and, and that's why because I really wanted to ask you about the upcoming free agency you know hockey's an odd sport. Playoffs are over now, uh, and, and then we're going to have the award show, and then we go right into the draft, and then it'll be development camp, and then it's unrestricted free agency. Everything I'm hearing about this uh, uh, current free agent crop is that it's a weak crop. It isn't that good. There's not a lot of difference makers in it. You know, difference makers never hit free agency anymore unless they want to. They're usually signed by their original club. What is your opinion of this upcoming free agent class? Well, I, I, I just want to quickly finish, too, about what you just said about draft. You know what? You don't just mm-hmm. decide that you want to be a certain – you got to have the players. And, right, and so when right. I talk about when I talk about Marty LaPointe being drafted, you know, McCarty being drafted, the trade for Draper, the trade for Malpe, they had Steve Eisenman. They had Sergei Fedorov. They had Nick Lidstrom. They had Slava Kozlov. Right? Like, they had talent. They had right, skill. Definitely. They had Vladdy Konstantinov. They had skill. Right, so you were trying to build out their team. You know, when you're picking high, and 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 you end up with Mo Sider, and you end up with Simon Evans, and you end up with Marco Casper, and you end up with Lucas Raymond. That's the skill part. Now you're trying to build out your team, and 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 I think that's where you're looking at saying, okay, if you want to become a harder team to play against, you need hard players to play against, <laughs> because it's not just about saying being hard to play against. And I I, right. I, I, there's no question. Steve knows exactly where he wants to go. Chris Draper, Sean Horkoff. They all know. And I think that that becomes really significant. Now, when we're talking about free agency, I think you also have to look. And and to your point, a lot of these players get tied up. But when you start to look and you start to look at where the Red Wings find, it's also the timeline. You know, I thought last summer, like, you know, Steve Eisenman traded for Billy Husso, got him signed. He was able to uh, sign Dominic Kubalik as as, as an unrestricted free agent. I think that was a significant signing goal scoring. He was able to sign David Perron. We talk about competitive spirit. We talked about that a little bit earlier. I think that that becomes really important for your younger players in your team. And then, of course, Andrew Cobb. 
Like, it's not just, it's about what does your team need at any point in time and what's available. And I would suggest that, you know, he, he signed Jake Wallman. Jake Wallman was a potential free agent. That's, to me, right. a really good signing and, and somebody that really helps your team. And now you consider what the free agent, like, last year was different for Steve and the Red Wings. This, this year, there's different opportunities to look at, 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 at free agent signings. And, you know, like, you know, I, I'm just going to name a couple of guys because I just talked about him yesterday. Ivan Barbashev. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Ryan O'Reilly. What would they mean to your team? What do they What do they come in doing for your team? And is this something that makes sense for the Red Wings right now? It's not so much the sexiness of a free agent group. It's what they can add to your team because th- th- they're sexy in Detroit. But you're trying to add players that can that that, that support the overall objective of what where you want to take your group and where you want to direct them to. And I think that becomes it. And, you know, we can say this every year, Art. Well, they, all the good free agents, they get signed by their players. Yeah, that doesn't mean they all, don't, uh, they all do. And it doesn't mean that players, because they aren't sexy, aren't valuable. Yeah, I mean, you know, based on your explanation, then I think that there are several fellas that are going to hit unrestricted free agency on July 1 that I think could actually add to the Red Wings. And, you know, and I, I, I think that, you know, they always do their due, due diligence. So one player that I want to mention, because if you want to start a major war here in Detroit, just mention his name and say, should the Red Wings consider signing him if he hits unrestricted free agency? And it looks like that. It's Toronto Maple Leaf own Michael Bunting, who seems to you know, have an abrasiveness that I think the Red Wings would like, but is Bunting ticketed for Toronto? Is he ticketed for free agency? Would he be a good fit in Detroit, do you think? Listen, it feels, based on reports, that Bunting is not going to return to Toronto. Now, Mm -hmm. that may be, you know, there's a new general manager there. It may be on on what his contract demands are, and, and, and that's all understandable. It would be hard for me to say that Michael Bunting wouldn't be uh, a, a, a fit in Detroit. You know, he's abrasive. He can score goals. He's hungry in and around the net. He's no fun to play against. And so now it comes down to, okay, that type of player, what does it mean for, for, for us salary-wise? You know, what's the term? Term becomes a big part of this, right? Right, like, definitely. I mean, so, so what is Michael Bunting looking for and, and everything that goes with it? Because so, you're managing all those different timelines, contracts expiring, you know, younger players being ready to play when that timeline is, when you project that to be. So I think that that factors in. But the typing and, – and Michael has shown that he can play with good players. I, I, I think that, that that becomes a factor in terms of – you know what you're looking at you know you're not just adding a player he's shown that he can play with top end players i i think it's clearly demonstrated by playing with austin matthews and producing on the power play we're talking about goal scoring it's hard to do and it's hard to get so you know you have to explore these different avenues when they present themselves and what does it mean in all the contexts that i just mentioned yeah 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 and i'm going to ask you another name that is bandied about here in detroit and, you know, he does have some uh, uh, some local ties to the area. And I, I, I have no idea what the Capitals are doing. Uh, you know, I would imagine as long as Ovi is, is playing in Washington, they're always 
I don't know if they're going to go through any kind of rebuild. They're always going to try to, you know, at least try to give him another legitimate shot at a cup before, uh, uh, you know, before his, his, his career is, is over. But a guy like Tom Wilson, I mean, obviously, guy has some baggage. I understand that. But, boy, if you're talking about a guy who is that abrasive, tough to play against, he certainly fits that bill. Yeah, I think the problem with Tommy is he's big, he's fast, and he's competitive. He's everything. He There's no <laughs> – that, that's not a problem, Craig. <laughs> I was waiting for the laughter. Yeah, yeah well, no, no. I mean, I, I was thinking about it, and, and I knew where you were going. I'm thinking then there's no issue with him. But I hey. don't think Washington would trade him, I don't think. I, I, listen, I, I will only <laughs> say this about Tommy, Okay. He's unique. There are no players like him in the NHL. No player. And like, and I understand people. Oh, what about Matthew Kachuk? Matthew Kachuk isn't like Tommy Wilson. Matthew Kachuk's a hundred point player. Tommy Wilson right. isn't. So right. let's differentiate there. But that type of player. What I can tell you about Tommy Wilson. So Tommy is either twenty nine. He's going to be twenty nine this year if he isn't already twenty nine. What I will tell you this about Tommy is, if I'm out there as a manager. And I hear that Tommy Wilson might be available. I am phoning Brian McClellan, and I am finding out what the price is to acquire Tommy Wilson. Because I will tell you this about Tommy Wilson. When he steps on the ice for your team, there is nobody on the other team that is comfortable. And the team that's looking at playing your team the next night with Tommy Wilson in your lineup, they're not sleeping well the night before a game. That's what Tommy Wilson – Tommy Wilson isn't just what he does on the ice. It's what he does to – Everybody, okay, what are we going to do? How do we deal with him? Oh, is this the time he's going to strike? Is this the time where he might bubble over? That's unsettling. But you know what it is for the team that has him? Really comforting. Yeah, I would love to see him. Yeah, oh, I, I, actually, I, I mean, love I, Tommy I, Wilson. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, like I said, a little, you know, you know, he kind of loses it once in a while, but, uh, but he's obviously, uh, you know, a, a great player and. If you're talking about getting your team harder to play against and, you know, gritty and a little more physical, like, you, I mean, you, I, I don't want to keep repeating what you just said, but, I mean, he's the man. I mean, I, I don't know if it gets much better than that. I mean, if you're making an instant acquisition, you know, that would be the guy that I would target. I'm not saying that Steve hasn't. I have no inside knowledge or information, but, boy, would he be a real good fit here in Detroit. Yeah, like I said, he'd be a good fit anywhere. I mean, I love, yeah, I love the way he plays. Like I said, ask anybody that's, that, that, that plays against Tommy Wilson how much fun it is. And fun doesn't even become a, a word in it. Yeah, I'm, sure, I'm sure they would look at you facetiously and go, oh, yeah, he's an absolute riot to play against. Oh, uh, yeah, I really look forward to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah nobody I mean, says that. Yeah, no. <laughs> and, and the other thing about Tommy, he, he, he's indiscriminate. He, he, he's an equal opportunity catalyst. He's going after everybody, anywhere, all the time. Yeah, yeah, you know, and Detroit has had players like that before, and they're beloved, you know. They, so uh, uh, it wouldn't be the first time they, had, they, they were suiting up players like that, and that would be great. Craig, I, my final question, because I really want, you know, we, I mean, we've talked for over two hours, ladies and gentlemen, uh, listening to the podcast today, uh, a, a little over an hour so far is uh, it, it has made the uh, the cut. So uh, I, I've taken up a lot of Craig's time, and he's one of the busiest men uh, in in all the NHL at this at this time of year. But 
I am hearing in the beginning the chatter was the initial chatter why the playoffs were going on was oh it's going to be a free for all at the draft this year teams are going to be wheeling and dealing people are going to be you know trading up and you never know one trade the old domino effect and now as we're getting closer to it everything seems to have died down that you know it's like well there may be a few moves maybe not uh, I mean teams will always try to trade up but significantly teams can't trade up you know maybe one or two spots I mean it's not going to be this free-for-all that I think was at least maybe it was was wishful thinking but was anticipated to happen how do you think this unfolds uh, Wednesday uh, uh, July uh, or pardon me June I obsessed with July with June 28th and 29th in Nashville is this is this going to be a free-for-all a draft to remember or do you think it's going to go like a lot of drafts just kind of par for the course yeah I, 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 I'll tell you why I don't see it par for the course you know and I, you know we've talked about Meechkoff. And I, and I think that there's, uh, again, I, I, I mention this often. You, you can make a case for a player or against a player any way you want. You can base it on size and passport, whatever you want to do. There's teams that are not interested in Meechkoff, and there's teams that are interested in Meechkoff. So I think that once you get through that part of, of, of the early pre-days prior to Wednesday, that there will be teams that will be expressing a desire to try to see what it would what it would cost uh, to to move up to get Mishkov, I, I don't think there's any question about that. I I think he becomes uh, the first player uh, to, to to really draw the interest and y- you know get everybody into the web of what maneuvers could happen at the draft. I I, I think that, that that becomes first and foremost. Secondly, there's so many what I call top two line forwards in this group through the first 18, 20 picks, maybe 22, whatever. So I may rate a player eighth. You may rate him 16th, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm picking, I'm picking uh, later in, in the first round, I'm picking 15. And I say, geez, I really like that. But I, I want to phone Steve Eisenman and I want to see what it takes to get the ninth pick. And, you know, and, and so I want to get up there. I want to, this is the player I really want. And Steve Eisenman and his group are looking at it and going, well, fifth, do we get 15 and 17? Who do we like at this group? Do we still get one of these players that we'd be considering at nine? And now you start to say, yeah, I can make that move. I think we're going to see more along the lines of that. I also think that we're going to see, thirdly, we're going to see some of the RFAs. I think about Pierre-Luc Dubois. I think about oh, yeah. Alex Brincat. I think about player Travis Konechny, who's not an RFA, but might be moving for draft picks. And, you know, I think that that happens uh, potentially at, at, on day one of the draft, certainly on day two of the draft. But if you're trading quality players, I think you want to crack at first-round picks. And so that would be the, the, the third area that I would be evaluating for movement. So... I don't think it's going to be par for the course. I think we're going to see some movement for those different reasons. Well, yeah, I, you know, I agree with you. And, and, and I guess, and I'm not trying, again, I have no inside information, but if I'm Steve Eisenman, I'm at least saying, you know, we're open for business and maybe uh, that 17th pick could, uh, 
could bring a little bit something for you. You know, I, I, I don't know. And, and with the seconds, I mean, he said today that he thought it was really a, they're in a unique position, especially with 41, 42 and 43, having three picks in a row in the second round that, that that's really valuable. I mean, I'm really eager to see what happens. I would imagine if Mitchkoff is taken or people, is that then the old domino effect? I mean, if, if, if people are trading up for him, then, uh, you know, no rules, no regulations, no holds bars. It could turn into a bit, for lack of a better term, a free-for-all. Yeah, it sure could. There's no question about it. And, you know, I I, I, I believe that, you know, again, there's there, there's teams that have lots of interest in Mitchkov. There's teams that don't. And right. the, 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 those teams could be sitting in the, in, the, in the top five, the top 10, the top 12, whatever they may be, right? But that's the reality of it. And I, and I think that that's what leads to it being so interesting and, and the intrigue that surrounds it with respect to a player that has so much ability and so much promise because he does. Uh, yeah. I, I'm going to say that I'm just going to ask you, Craig. I mean, obviously Alex to the Red Wings, I, I think could have drafted him, did not, uh, uh that, uh, you know, he's obviously turned into this uh, consistent goal scorer, which they need. He's obviously grew up here in the metropolitan Detroit area. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what's going on with Ottawa, the ownership, or, you know, will he, does he have interest in signing there, uh, uh, you know, extension and all that kind of stuff. Do you expect Alex to bring it? And I'm not saying he's coming to Detroit, even though Steve said today that, you know, that's a old school, not trading within your own division. That's not the way it's done anymore. Do you see Dabrinkat being moved? I don't know. And, 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 and the reason I say that is for, for Pierre Dorian and the uh, Ottawa Senators, this is an important season for them. They have new ownership. They have some really good young players and, some, and players that have moved into that category of really impactful players. You know, they, they trade for Chicklin. You know, they they, they they drafted Jake Sanderson. They have Shabbat. They they, they tied up Artem Zoo. Right. They, 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 they have a they have a good top four on the blue line. They, they need goaltending help. But I, I think when they made when they made the trade for for Alex, it was with the idea of moving forward. Now they. They were more competitive. They were down down the stretch. They were really good again. I think this year for the Ottawa Senators is one where they got to be, you know, in the playoff hunt. They, like the playoffs have to be on their focus. You know, if if you start to look and say, well, we're going to need scoring and we need a goaltender, you know, it, is it prudent upon Pierre Dorian to hold on to Alex DeBrincat, which I think is a reason why he – he took the route of club elected's arbitration. He knows he'll have the player under contract. And maybe the best time to trade Alex to bring that, depending on, 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 on how your season unfolds, will, will be later. Maybe it's in the fall. Maybe it's next February. Maybe it's never because right. for the Ottawa Senators, maybe the best return for them is Alex to bring cat in an Ottawa Senators uniform in the playoffs. Well, you know, and, and I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm, I'm not just saying because he's a Michigan guy. Josh Norris didn't even play last year. I mean, you had him in bring you know, I mean, I, 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 if I were out of, I don't know why I would want to get rid of him. Well, people Truly. say you got to get something for him. What about the playoffs where you haven't been for years? 
right? I, 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 I guess from an Ottawa standpoint, it doesn't make sense for me. Uh, but, you know, I could see where other teams, and I'm sure the Red Wings included, you know, a guy who has a goal-scoring resume like him is somebody that, you know, hey, you know, you got to kick the tires, right? You got to make that call and see what it would take. But I'm just thinking you add Josh Norris to that lineup with the Brinkett in the, the wealth of forwards and young defensemen, I mean, and if they can get the goaltending situation uh, under control and, you know, new ownership. I mean, Ottawa is going to be a powerhouse here sooner rather than later. I totally agree with you. And I, and I think that, again, that's, that, 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 that's my rationale for, for believing that I don't know if he'll be moved. I think Pierre Dorian, it's, if, if he's moving him for picks, I would expect that picks will be moving out for another player because mm-hmm. it's hard to find goal scoring. He, he traded a first, second, and third to get to bring Cat. So, again, making the playoffs, I think, is really significant. I'm going to share a funny story with you. All right. In 1990, 1990 we, we had traded for Larry Murphy from the Washington Capitals. We traded for Larry Murphy and Mike Gartner for Dino Cicerelli and Bob Rouse. And, uh, you know, Larry Murphy came to our team. I mean, really good player, really, really good player. Anyway, we traded it. Like, Bob Clark became our general manager. We ended up trading him. We ended up trading him to – we traded him for Jimmy Johnson and Chris Dahlquist. And, you know, looking for a little bit different type of a blue line. I am telling you, it wasn't a month later. We were on a conference call looking for a right shot defenseman that could run our power play and add some offensive punch. And we, we were going through players, this player, and that player. Well, that player's not that good offensively. Well, that player. Anyway, finally, and I remember it very clearly, Dennis Patterson, who was our chief scout, lives in the Michigan area, has lived there for a long time, you know, uh-huh. been with the Flyers forever now. He said, geez, we traded a pretty good one a month ago with Larry Murphy, and the call <laughs> ended right then and there. You know when we were able to replace Larry Murphy with our franchise? It was in 1996 at the draft when we traded for Sergei Zuboff. So what wow. I would suggest to the Ottawa Senators is, you know what? Making the playoffs with Alex DeBrincat is not getting nothing. Yeah, I, you know, again, I, I mean, I, I kind of shake my, I mean, it's intriguing, but I, I, yeah, I agree with you. I, I, I just, you know, I mean, do you have any, do you think he wants to stay in Ottawa? I mean, he's kind of not, he hasn't really said a whole lot from what I've been able to read. I mean, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's like a Kachuk situation in Calgary where he just pretty much announces, I'm not signing with you guys. Uh, you know, I, 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 I'm not going to sign an extension. I, I mean, I, I think, and maybe I'm reading into it, he seems open to stay a senator, at least, I, I may, but maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, well, I, I, what I will say to you again is I don't know. I mean, maybe right. he said, I'll stay in Ottawa if you pay me nine times, eight, eight years times nine million a year, oh, which wow. might, no, but I, I don't know that. I'm just saying right, right, there's, right. there's different ways to say I'm not staying. There's different ways to say I am staying. You, you know, and, and I'm a big believer, and, and until the player, like you know, expresses where he's at, you know, I don't know, and I hate to speculate on what a player may be thinking or not thinking. Right. And so for Alex, you know, I mean, he he's at a point in his career where he knows that unrestricted free agency is coming up next summer. He knows that he has an opportunity of being a really good goal scorer in this league. That he can sign a, a really good contract that puts him in a really good position, but. 
At the same time, for Pierre Dorian and the Ottawa Senators, I, I believe there's also an opportunity to, to look at our team with Alex DeBrincat, and you know Alex is going to just play just as hard, just as competitively as he always has. For right. just because that's inherent in him, and he also knows that free agency is 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 on the horizon. So I, I don't see any downside for the Ottawa Senators in keeping Alex DeBrincat, and I would suggest to the Ottawa Senators, unless there's a, a deal out there that that is really significant, I wouldn't be making it. I, I would be saying, we got Alex this year. Here's what we're trying to do. You got Josh Norris coming back from the shoulder injury. This is something that's really good. We're going to get a goaltender in here, and we're going to be really competitive, and we're going to be ready to make the playoffs. And Alex, you're going to be part of that. And if you leave next summer as a free agent, okay, so be it. We move on. But making the playoffs for the Ottawa Senators, I think, has to be, like, that has to be your goal. That has to be the mandate there. And your chances of doing it without the Brink had it better than without it. And if they are a playoff team and they're making it, it's a, I'm sure it's going to be a good experience for him, obviously. Who's to say that he says, you know, let's, you know, I'm throwing free agency caution to the wind here. I, I, I want to sign in Ottawa. I mean, there's so many factors that go into it. I just think that, you know, Red Wing fans are so fixated, and a lot of it has to do because he's a local talent. I, I, I understand that, that, uh, you know, you got to really examine and remember there's always another team involved and I don't mean to be lecturing people here truly, but you, you've got to kind of look at, a, 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 you know, you have to look at the whole problem on all from all sides, take everything into account and then make it. And I just don't, I, I don't know. I mean, unless he just comes right flat out and says, no, I want out, which I don't think he has. I mean, it, it, it's really, really interesting. But anyway, you know, Craig, I should probably uh, uh, end it on that positive note, I guess. But uh, uh, I do appreciate it as always. You always take time out. I always say to you that, hey, you know, we'll, we'll stay in touch throughout the whole season. And then we, you know, we get caught up. I mean, you're one of the busiest people in, in the entire league. But, uh, you know, I've always like you. I admire the job that you do. You know, you're a dear friend of mine, and I cannot thank you enough for taking time out, the busiest time of the year for you, and always spending time here on the Red and White Authority. Thank you so very much. Art, it's my pleasure. It truly is. The, the friendship is one that I cherish. You work tremendously hard. Your passion shines through. And to make time for just me and you to talk about anything, from Michigan athletics to Detroit area sports, it's always my pleasure, and you can always count on that. Well, you know that. Well, you know that. Uh, you, you know you're. Uh, you may not be a Detroiter by birth, but you're certainly a Detroiter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Craig. I, I enjoy. Looking forward to uh, uh, to watching everything that you do. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Art.